If you don't have a solid door to your house, someone was just going to walk in there. We came up with a concept of using strong public key crypto and hardware. We are building a very secure iron door. The open standards are critical for adoption and to ensure you, you do the right thing. A lot of people looking at the same thing and scrutinizing it and question is good. The hackers are always in front of us and will hack systems. So if it is an open standard, there will be more people who can identify when there's a problem and solve it. Hi, I'm Guy Pojarni, CEO and co-founder of Sneak. And you're listening to The Secure Developer, a podcast about security for developers, covering security tools and practices you can and should adopt into your development workflow. The Secure Developer is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybeats.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you would like to suggest a topic for us to discuss, find us on Twitter at The Secure Dev. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Secure Developer. Uh, today we have with us Stina Eresvard from uh, Ubico. Uh, welcome, Stina. Thank you so much for inviting me here. Uh, thanks for coming to the show. I sort of know you from the, the Ubico world, the YubiKey world. Can you uh, just introduce yourself a little bit, you know, what you do, maybe how you got into it, and tell us a bit about, uh, about indeed Ubico and what you do. Okay. So I have a background in product design, and uh, when I went to college, a guy, an electronic computer engineer, approached me and gave me a working prototype of one of my designs, and I knew that was my man. I married him. And <laughs> <laughs> Love it, first prototype. He was 15 when he built his first computer. And at the time, he was 25 and had just designed the security system for the largest nuclear plant in Sweden, including my design that I did at college. And, and other guys had given me flowers and dinners. And <laughs> <laughs> Jacob gave me a prototype. That's much more useful. Anyway, uh, since then, we've been working on this crossroad between industrial product design and, and innovation with a focus on security. We started as consultants and we came up with ideas. And um, the YubiKey and the Yubico mission actually came to us 11 years ago. It was an odd story. <laughs> I was logging into my online bank and um, Jacob said that it would take him one and a half day to write the code that would hack my bank account. <laughs> and so to check with the bank what they would be to do about this problem, I, I called them up, I uh, called the customer service and I got the response, can you please tell your friend to not do that? <laughs> so, However, you know, it sort of triggered me and Jacob to figure out what could Jacob not hack? And what was there to, you know, that, what was the thing that we needed to crack? And the only thing that Jacob could not hack at the time was smart cards. You know, public key crypto, strong authentication, a proven technology been around for 30 years. It's the same technology you see in SIM cards and PIN and chip cards, but they were not designed for the web. They were not designed for mobile and really for, for users. So we came up with a concept of using strong public key crypto and hardware, but simplifying. So you didn't need any client software or reader. It identified itself as a keyboard. That was the first invention. And then you touch it, so you show that you're a real human. Mm -hmm. And we made it in the form factor of a USB key instead of a card, because then you carry the reader with you. You don't have to have an external reader. And it was a long, really difficult journey to convince the world at the time, because at the time, everyone said, oh, the phone, biometrics, and, and user behavior, that is completely the future. Yeah. And SMS had just launched, and, and there I was with my little USB key, and, and no one cared. Re literally, I was like, okay. People even said, sorry, you're dead. <laughs> this is the 90s. Yeah. You know, why are you coming with the USB? 
key. It feels nice sometimes to uh, prove people wrong in that sense. Yeah, you know what? I, people still question why we need hardware, but, you know. Well, anyway, I just said, okay, is there a more easy and secure way to for user credentials? Anyway, what we came up with needed a global standard to make the, the mission complete. The mission of Ubico and the Ubiki came from the same word that we picked for our name, the word ubiquitous, which means everywhere. Yeah. So a key that would enable you to log in and access everything, your computer, your networks, your online services, just like you can go with your credit card and buy in old stores and, and with your driver license and drive on old cars. <laughs> was it meant to be um, a replacement or an augmentation? I mean, was it meant to be like the two-factor auth or to be the, you know, everything in one, this is the way you authenticate to the web? Uh, so it was definitely an augmentation. Our biggest competitor is not everything two-factor. It's still the username password used by 90% of services. And everyone else out there, the, the smart cards, the one-time password tokens, the push apps, the SMS has actually helped to educate the market. But they've all, you know, the, the hardware devices have been too complicated, <laughs> and the software solutions, SMS and push apps, and you know anything that you download on a computer or phone is not secure enough. Yeah. But they've all had an important role getting there. Yeah. To go from some other two-factor authentication method to the YubiKey is much easier than convincing people they need to that go from using the first place, yeah. <laughs> And you get the advantages of, of indeed hardware design that we don't appreciate much, although we use it in everyday life, of being what you want. It's just there, it's just on the, it's plugged into your laptop, you just touch it and it goes. Yes, so we came up with this simple user experience first, and then we realized, okay, in order for this technology to scale everywhere, there, the glue is missing. How do you attach this to a service, and then you can log into any number of services? And Google had started buying our product. They started to buy our one-time password product. For internal purposes, or just for internal use? Internal purposes, for their own internal staff. And we were aware that was not the ultimate product that we could invent. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, didn't have NFC for mobile. So I wrote my first business plan. I'm not from the business world at all, so I'm not even sure how you write those plans. <laughs> but I wrote one page, or half, I think it was even half a page. I said, we're going to move from Stockholm to Silicon Valley, and we're going to scale our technology through working closely with the tech giants through the platforms and the vent and the browsers, so it gets inter- integrated directly into the technology that's used by billions of people. And in that way, we don't have to have hundreds of salespeople and hundreds of marketing people. We just have to work with ten companies or even less. Yeah, to do to an extent, you're you know you took the advantage of the hardware design, which is you know you can design it to sort of fit the literal physical need. You know, and I love that in the notion that it. You know, I, I'm I'm often an advocate around making security easy. You know, just sort of you know making it uh, you know hopefully the default, but even if not default, at least you know sort of a very easy. But I guess now that you're in hardware mode, you have to also ensure that the sort of the software components on it, you know, are sufficiently universal, sufficiently uh, enforcing, because you can't, you know, you're not going to carry around ten of these YubiKeys and kind of plug in the right one at any given time. Actually, a few years ago, someone told me they could identify people working in the financial sector and Wall Street on the sides of their pockets because they were carrying all these yeah. tokens. <laughs> And that we wanted to avoid. Now, a lot of people have some kind of phone app instead, but they have been increasingly vulnerable. And Google had seen that. They were seeing phishing attacks. And they started using our one-time password device, and we approached them with this idea of adding public key crypto and NFC. And this protocol of 
enabling one single security key to access any number of services with no shared secrets. And it took some time for, to us, from, uh, for us to convince them, but finally we did. And the initial use case for Google was just their internal users. That's where they had a budget and that's where their needs initially yeah, keep needs themselves were. secure. Yeah, yeah. and it, the result was so great. I mean, the result was amazing. So we, together with Google, we contributed the code to an organization named FIDO Alliance that had started just a few months earlier. What does the FIDO stand for? It stands for Fast Identity Online. Okay. And uh, it started with a similar but a slightly different authentication protocol and was more focused on the same sort of mission. Okay, how do you make it easy and seamless for everyone? But the initial focus was biometrics and phones, Mm -hmm. while our focus was hardware security keys. It's been a challenge and, and, and fun and amazing journey, sort of working with these standards bodies and all these organizations, sort of moving things forward. That sounds like quite a feat, you know. So you're there, you're sort of this tiny startups, so you're coming along, you're you know, you're driving a, a mindset or um, maybe a, a slice of the world of security, trying to drive you know more secure authentication and uh, identification. You work with Google, you know, that's sort of a good moment in the sense that they, you know, as, as a customer, they're they're a pretty good customer to have. <laughs> and now you're trying to work with these standards bodies. How was that like? And and maybe if I can even ask why, like what was the the primary driver? I mean, what was the the mission inside the organization saying we'll go through what I believe or sort of what I must suspect was somewhat painful times, which is you know mobilizing a standards body at the pace of a startup. Yeah, I mean to convince and gather and sort of get all the leading tech giants into the same room, agreeing on something was a. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds easy. That sounds very easy. I don't want to go to detail because they're all my friends and customers. But we had some sort of cool stories where they didn't really trust each other. So they used Ubicode to sort of walk between and, and be the middleman or the... I, I sometimes see ourselves as sort of a, a small at Switzerland or, you know, in this giant tech world. We were this little company yeah. that had great ideas, but we were not a threat to anyone. And I think that was also the key to our success we could walk between and solve problems. We were very hands-on. We built code. We wrote 90% of the U2F code. We put it out there. We built test tools and servers. We educated the world. After Google made support, we convinced GitHub and Dropbox and Facebook. And, you know, we just keep pushing. And while the world was screaming, saying, oh, that's not the future. Security keys are not the future. It's something else. We just we're focused and said, yes, whatever the else is, we will need hardware too. I mean, I'm absolutely think, you know, yes, biometrics, yes, user behavior or geolocation or all the other things that you may want to add to track and monitor user that will add another layer of security. If you don't have a solid door to your house, someone was just going to walk in there, even if you have good cameras watching, oh, someone is walking into your house, but you can't, you know, yeah, <laughs> they already walked in. The in. <laughs> I would say that what we're trying to do is basically put out that door. I mean, a username and password is like putting up a latch. You can yeah. just kick it in. And, you know, this is, when I'm trying to describe this for, for my kids, I've got three kids, we are building a very secure iron door. <laughs> yeah. And people and, absolutely out of the Yeah, air. and you need a special key to get in there. And if you don't have the key and the door is, you know, it's just going to be really difficult. But it's, of course, it's not impossible. Like what you're trying to get all these, all the, what you did actually get, you know, all these companies to sign in is to basically subscribe to FIDO or to, so to this standard, the end result of which that you can now authenticate with any authentication device that supports, that acts as the client in that. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, I mean, we were the first to develop the authentication device. Now there are others. We mm-hmm. put up the code and work with Google. And now also, actually, 
Microsoft have made a fantastic contribution because our initial protocol was just focused on combining the, the key with a, a username password. The vision was to say it could be, doesn't have to be a password, it can be by metrics or nothing. It's just sort of the key with something that you are or you. And uh, so Microsoft have now, we have the, the FIDO 12 protocol have evolved to something called FIDO 2, which parts of it is, is in W3C and under the name WebAuthn. But in sort of to respond to your question, there are, there are authentication devices and there are free open source servers that any company can integrate. Ubico provides these servers. It takes a couple of days to make for, support for it for free. And then there are the browsers and the platforms that make support. But those are not so many, they're a handful. <laughs> so when the platform and browser are support, it's so much easier for both the device providers and the servers you know, to make support in the back end. We have fantastic results. Since Google deployed this for all their staff and contractors, they had zero account takeovers. Literally not one single successful... That's, that's a good number. Uh, ...successful attack. And they were able to reduce support with 92%. And I was like, where did that fantastic number? Because I didn't expect that. And they said, well, we figured out that independent if you only have one key or one phone or one card to log into, some one method, you know, users will lose it. But if you give everyone two or three, you know, one, we actually design one that sits in the computer, one you put on a keychain, one you can put in a wallet, then the number change because then you have a backup. Yeah. And if you make the backup weak, that's where the bad guys will come in. Yeah, that's the forget your password CAC or whatever yeah. it is that, you know, the secret questions, right? You have this uber sophisticated password and then your secret question is, you know, your date of birth, which you can, yeah. you know, it's not that many options uh, when you when you can guess the person involved. So I love the impact of it. You know, I feel the world of security tends to be very, I don't know if self-interest or, you know, just like much more opaque in many aspects, you know, not necessarily as collaborative, not for bad reasons, just, you know, security is scary. We're not that far from the time in which people thought that even like the best crypto algorithms were the ones that nobody knew about. And today we're in a different era and crypto algorithms are open source and they're better for it, you know, they're sort of, they're vetted and uh, and the likes. But as a business, you know, many companies would have said, hey, you know, I have this YubiKey and I'm trying to uh, to support and I will do the grunt work of authenticating with the whatever it is, gazillion different protocols out there, and it would give me a competitive edge. I guess, was there a, a core principle, or how did you sort of keep the perseverance to it? To an extent, you're sort of giving up some kind of core concept and core advantage maybe that you have in this YubiKey to help improve the general ecosystem security by driving it. That was a decision we made. We said, uh, <laughs> it was actually a very similar decision that Volvo made when they invented the seatbelt, which was solving a problem 60 years ago. You know, we, the cars were not designed for security. The internet was not designed for security. And there was an inventor at Volvo who said that he had made some research and come to the conclusion that users do not want to be uncomfortable even for a minute. So whatever the seatbelt will be, it had to work within a second with one hand. And that was the objective for the three-point seatbelt he went in. And then he went to the Volvo board and said, we should not keep this great invention by ourselves. We should give it to the world. Every single card on the planet should have this because it will save millions of lives. And he's an inspiration to me. I think he just said the right thing. And you have to take that bet and trust that you can build a business and will have customers even if you're giving up some IP. We haven't given up every piece of our IP in the company, but we've given up the standards piece. That is the crown jewel of our inventions. And 
And we are extremely proud and happy of that. I mean, this is how I've been able to recruit the coolest engineers on the planet. But this is how I say, okay, do you want to have an important job? You know, do you want to help to secure billions of people? I think that is a very good way. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's a, that's a pretty good mission, you know? Like, you know, you get you some know? pretty committed and people. And then they say, you know, and how is Ubico going to make money? And I say, yeah, eventually we'll have competitors. Eventually it will be built indirectly into computers and phones. But there are 7 billion people out there. And if we get a fraction of those, we're going to be really good. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think oftentimes also the expertise, the people driving the standard, first of all, help influence the agenda. So, you know, you're, your vision and your alignment, you're generally always a few steps ahead of the world because you understand it in that very, very few people and entities do. So you can plan ahead and then you can also, you know, help indeed to chart that path because that's what you believe is next. But still that's that's sort of an amazing sentiment and mission to do it. And I think, you know, like one one to applaud, you know, not one that happens every time. I think we see some initiatives, right? You look around now, you see things like uh, let's encrypt, you know, that sort of helps Establish standardizing the you know creation of certificates or so the certificate authority you know they didn't invent anything necessarily except maybe some automation components but sacrificing a potentially profitable or sort of you know good money making certificate authority business in favor of doing something that expands the use of HTTPS and NS and TLS in the world I think is positive and uh, hopefully we we'll see more of those. I'm actually very optimistic about the world's future. I'm seeing a lot of these sort of sharing community efforts in many aspects. I mean, the work we are doing is one of many. I mean, many of many standards work and collaboration projects I'm seeing across the planet where people actually want the world to be better and contribute. I mean, the whole Linux thing, <laughs> you know, there is this community. They don't, yeah. you know, you just give and because you want to be part of something bigger. We've been fortunate, which has been very helpful for us to actually being able to build a business around it. And it was also necessary because we needed the feedback from customers and customers needed a product, you know, and when you have a product, you can actually earn some money. So it was in some way really helpful that we were a corporation in order to, if we had been a completely nonprofit, we wouldn't have been able to put out a product there and get the feedback and work with these yeah. customers on their problems. So there are times I feel like, are we, are we a corporation or are we a nonprofit? And I think we're sort of both right now. <laughs> yeah, do they, well, that's fine. You're a corporation with a good mission for it, and that's a good one. Okay. Let's, um, so I'd, I'd love to uh, dig in on one specific aspect of it. So this is, you know, you have the standard. These standards are, are sort of their authentication standards. They're not identities. Can we talk a little bit about that? Like, what, what's the difference between the authentication standards versus who you are or sort of your identity? Authentication is basically the same person coming in again. It's the key to your house. It doesn't say, this is Guy's key. This, yeah. It's just a key. And it has, you know, in the digital world, it has a number. With identity, that's you. It's your, you know, the stuff that's on your driver license or other means of personal information. And we don't do that part, but it is important to combine those pieces. And we got a grant from NIST two years ago to figure out how we can combine the FIDO U2F with identity. For You can't even say this in America. In Sweden, where I come from, we can. But it's like, how would a national ID system that is not owned and controlled by the government or by corporation, how could that look using the standards and tying the user's identities to it in a, in a high security, high privacy way? And we have figured out some cool ways to do it. And we're now deploying this with our first users in California. 
That sounds amazing and scary. Yeah, I mean, I don't really personally want to go into the identity space, but there are ways to ensure that you keep your users' data fairly secure and don't collect too much data, just the data you need. Hopefully there is the means to do it. I guess at the end of the day, we're kind of in a world of federated identity. It's just not single federated identity. There's a bunch of them. So yeah, And this the FIDO U2F protocol that is now becoming FIDO2 protocol is actually a very good complement to the federated identity. The federated identity allows you to have a lot of identity data and, and go to many places. But it didn't really solve the authentication problem. So the federated identity idea is, is like Facebook Connect. And with Facebook Connect, you can go to a lot of places and you don't have to sign up for these places. If you tie a, a security key to Facebook Connect, now you can securely log into these places, but you're still using federated identity. So we have a strong collaboration and actually hired members of the OpenID and SAML community into Ubico to sort of figure out our next generation protocols, because <laughs> we, we are innovators. You know, how do you tie federated identities with this authentication piece in the most high security, high privacy way? And our mission is a user-owned identity, where you own and control your identity and give this to service providers just the way that when you come into a store and show your driver license, you choose you know, when and how to show it, show it to, and it doesn't necessarily stay with identity provider. Sounds like an area that definitely requires the very least, you know, some better solution. You know, right yeah. now where we are, kind of current reality. Yeah, we're different. still figuring out. But we believe again in open standards. The open standards are critical for adoption and to ensure you you do the right thing. A lot of people looking at the same thing and scrutinizing it and question is good. We are living in a time when you should not buy black box security. <laughs> I would not recommend anyone yeah. to do that. Oh, I am the big brand. Go and trust me. You know that yeah. doesn't really resonate so well. And we have to remember that the hackers are always in front of us and will hack systems. So if it is an open standard, there will be more. And if it's open source, it will be more people who can identify when there's a problem and solve it in a transparent and agile way. So a, a bit of a side question for it. So you know, this is the technology, right, and the technology evolution to it. I think to an extent, we're seeing trends like two-factor auth get stronger. You know, it used to be something that was very niche, and now it's it's much more sort of standardized or accepted in you know, whatever means there are. What, what do you see in terms of you know adoption trends or, or changes? Do you see you know hardware supported or even software supported, if we can, multi-factor authentication better? Security controls growing substantially? Are we still like 99% passwords and we're just living uh, in a, a little saying, bubble? Maybe not 99, but <laughs> not far away. I mean, it is the vast majority. I think Google put out some stats saying, you know, only 10% of their users have turned on. Mm. Uh, and it has very good effect, which is interesting because we humans, we're not really interested in adding anything that we believe is a little more complex. Mm-hmm. So we've really figured out, okay, people believe it's difficult, but this is actually easier than a username and password. Because once you register this to Facebook, for example, Facebook have set it up, you only have to do it once. You bless it to your phone, and you bless it to your computer, and then you don't have to touch your key. You can put that in a drawer unless you move to a new computer. And then you got strong two-factor authentication without having the need for logging in with a complicated username and password, or you can literally just open your computer and it's, and it's secure. But I don't know. 
So to answer your question, the world needs more <laughs> hacks. I don't want to say it, but some more scars. Every time there's been a major hack, then my logistics team, Stina, comes. Stina, did you have a marketing <laughs> <laughs> marketing push or something? I said, oh no, there was just a big hack. And then the other is, I think actually the GDPR, even it's if it's sort of just in the start. This is in Europe, requiring corporations to take care of user data in a thoughtful way. Yeah, if they're it. hacked, it will be a big fine. It's a good start. What I don't like with GDPR now is that it's sort of fussy of what you actually should do, and it's a sort of lot of consultants and, and bureaucracy of getting there. Yeah. But the intention, okay, you need to do something or you will be fine. I think the next step is that they would say, and you actually have to have two-factor, or you have to have whatever the recommendation is. Right, set the standards for it. You know, I, I think what I like about GDPR is uh, it just it aligns the incentives a little bit. So means aside, just the fact that the fine is bigger. It's big enough to care more. And I think at the end of the day, that's maybe one of the most important, in my mind, one of the most important aspects of it is that it before the fines were too small, the price to pay from like a direct cost, you know, sort of penalty that you have to pay if you mishandled, if you underinvested in your in keeping your users' data secure or, or private for it, was just too low. You know, it was easier, better business wise to just not invest in it if you didn't fuss about it too much. Now and going back to to the seatbelt, uh after they invented the seatbelt, after they made it a standard, the government came in and put out these regulations. And first it was just mandatory. Now they're beeping and really annoying. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you put on the seatbelt. And at first people complained. And they're yeah. like, when I was growing up, I wasn't, you know, whatever in the back seat, you didn't have seatbelts. No. And, you know, whatever, there's boosters, they evolve. But the cool, I mean, the reality is seatbelts have saved millions of lives. Absolutely. And two factor have already proven to be good. And it's not the only security problem on the planet, but it's, by far the biggest one. If you read all these breaches that are in the news, 80 to 90% of them are due to a hacked password or a weak credential in some way. And the most sensitive part is someone logging into a server. So if I have a recommendation to a company and say, what shall I do? I just say, start securing your privileged users, your admins with two-factor. That's a very small investment that can have very big impact for yeah. a company. And you know you can go and get these keys on Amazon and are, and you know for from Ubico and other companies it's a small investment it's not difficult and you can set it up within hours and and days depending on the the backend infrastructure yeah I know it pays dividends I think very very quickly and you know I guess I'm looking forward to see even further evolutions from YubiKey because I you know I believe in what you were saying around people or I guess you were sort of attributing this to the seatbelt creator people don't want to be uncomfortable even for a second and I think as we make it more and more convenient to them and maybe on the other side we make it inconvenient to not do it whatever right? prompt you again and again that you have to turn on that other security control but the better you design you know you and uh, Jacob apply your <laughs> <laughs> you know, join minds with I'm sure an incredible team now to figure out other means of just making it so streamlined that you don't even think about it, but you do the secure thing. I think you know that would that would sort of help uh, help uh, help move us in uh, <laughs> in having the ninety some percent to be on the other side of the equation. No, I mean I started this journey together with Jacob, and I'm thrilled and and excited and honored with the global community we're working with today. We work with some of the smartest people at these tech giants and these open standards bodies who who really share it. The same love for the internet. I you know the first time I actually logged into the internet, I almost like a spiritual experience. <laughs> I said, like, oh, I grew up in Sweden. We're not religious, but I got this sense like here we're all connected. Here's this place where we have endless information for all of us to tap into. 
isn't that God? You know, like, <laughs> isn't, isn't that what, you know, yeah. someone says is God. But I got goosebumps, and, and, and since then I've loved the internet. I think it's a, a vital infrastructure for democracy and collaboration and sort of the next thing mankind can do. And I have this, you know, I'm here as one of many to help to secure its future, to stay open, because some of this security discussions are like, oh, we need to lock down the openness because that's the only way to make it secure. So to ensure that you can have good security with good privacy, that's the difficult mission, but the one we have just started. And in a few years from now, we will see the results. Indeed. So before I uh, uh, let you uh, <laughs> let you go here, I have a whole bunch of other questions, but I think we're already kind of a little bit over time. I like to ask every guest on the show if you have sort of one piece of advice or sort of some word of wisdom to to people looking to sort of level up their game, you know, specifically on security, but maybe even broader. You know, what what would that be? So level up. The game is to stay optimistic. Is I met a lot of people who are cynical about the world and where we're going, and I am this unfaltering optimist that believe that mankind, yes, we are good at creating problems, but we are as good at solving them together. And when you tap into that mindset and that energy and sort of find that community with people and peers who are want to solve the same problem, it's a just really inspiring thing to do. So... Don't give up <laughs> and don't be demotivated. The world will be more secure and we can all help. The best way to actually be part of this movement, I'll call it the movement, is to engage in the open standards work, download the open source code, go and build products around these standards and figure out what we can do next. What is the trust models that we could build when people can start to control their own authentication and identity? What is the new payment methods, IoT solutions? What can grow and flower from this? I am as curious to see what will come from these inventions and to see what actually Ubiqua has created. That's a very good message (laughs) to have. Well, thanks a lot, Stina, for coming on the show. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in and join us for the next one. That's all we have time for today. If you'd like to come on as a guest on this show or want us to cover a specific topic, find us on Twitter at The Secure Dev. To learn more about Heavybeat, browse to heavybeat.com. You can find this podcast and many other great ones, as well as over 100 videos about building developer tooling companies given by top experts in the field 